0: Hello listeners, been wondering how you can help the show? Probably not, but here are five things you can do. One, subscribe. Support the show by clicking the subscription link in the show notes. Two, review on iTunes, on our website, www.afraidofnothingpodcast.com, or on whatever app you listen to. Three, donate. When you go to our website, click the cute coffee cup icon. Or, in the show notes, click the subscription link. Four, share. Sharing really is caring. Tell your friends, and even your enemies, to check out the show. Five, watch. Wait a minute, it's a podcast, not a movie. Actually, it's both. Check the show notes to find out where to watch the documentary. You can also rent it on Prime Video. That's it. Oh, one last thing. Enjoy this episode. Tonight's episode is sponsored by paranormal author Eve S. Evans and her frightening new novel, The Haunting of Hartley Howley, available on Amazon today. In a world where nothing is known, nothing is certain, reality is not real. Wake up! Be afraid of nothing. I'm Bob Heskey. Robert. The host with the ghost. This is my podcast, based on my paranormal documentary, Afraid of Nothing. Each episode, we talk to people who see life and the afterlife through a different lens. Join me. Who is this large man? And what's he doing in our bedroom? As we lift the veil and open our minds to see beyond our eyes lie. This is Afraid of Nothing. Nothing. Mike Ricksecker is the author of A Walk in the Shadows, A Complete Guide to Shadow People, the historic paranormal books Ghosts of Maryland, Ghosts and Legends of Oklahoma, Campfire Tales Midwest, *Ghostorian Case Files, and the Encounters with the Paranormal series. He has appeared on multiple television shows and programs as a paranormal historian, including Animal Planet's The Haunted, Travel Channel's, the Alaska Triangle, Bio Channel's My Ghost Story, and Wren TV's Mysteries of Mankind, Fox 5 News, Washington, D.C., Fox 25 News, Oklahoma City, ABC3 News, Virginia Beach, Coast to Coast AM with George Norrie, and he produces his own internet shows, Ghost and Legends, Paranormal Roads, and Friday Night Ghost Frights. On Tuesday nights, Mike hosts the Edge of the Rabbit Hole live stream show and Beyond the Shadows on the Haunted Road Media YouTube channel. Haunted Road Media is Mike's own paranormal and supernatural book publishing and video production company, representing a number of paranormal authors, winning the award for Excellent Media in the Paranormal Field at the 2019 Shockfest Film Festival. Mike's historic paranormal articles have been published in the Baltimore Sun, Paranormal Underground Magazine, and he previously wrote an Oklahoma City Paranormal Column for Examiner.com from 2010 to 2014. His work has also been featured in The Oklahoman, The Frederick News Post, Marshall University's The Parthenon, and Louisiana State University's Civil War Book Review. Additionally, Mike is an Amazon best-selling mystery author with two entries to his Chase Michael DeBarlow Private Detective series, Deadly Airs and System of the Dead. With nearly 30 years of involvement in the paranormal, Mike serves as a paranormal investigator and ghost-storian with Society of the Haunted and regularly travels to speak about supernatural phenomenon and writing when there isn't a pandemic. All right, we are here with Mike Ricksecker for my 50th episode, A Real Bell Ringer.
1: Mike, welcome to the show. Hey Bob, thanks for having me on. I absolutely appreciate it.
0: Hey Mike, your bio shows that you really keep busy with several internet programs and YouTube channels, and your Haunted Road Media publishing and and production company. So I'm guessing the pandemic didn't really slow you down too much. That you didn't have to reinvent yourself. Is that true?
1: <laughs> I didn't have to completely reinvent myself, but I did throw a monkey wrench into a lot of things. You know, I I have a lot of speaking engagements usually throughout the year. A lot of conferences that I attend. Yeah, I had some projects in the works that required travel, and most of that got next, save for a couple things at the very end of the year. So it was a different year, but yeah, I still kept busy, that is for sure. Yeah. By the way, you have like nearly 30 years in the paranormal, which you seem younger than that, but it's great. Yeah, I guess I'm fortunate that I look a little younger than I am. I'll be 47 this year. Can you tell us how you got into it and over
0: these past 30 years, how you think it's changed for better or for worse?
1: Yeah. So, you know, I had my very first paranormal experience when I was, when I was a kid, I was, uh, you know, about eight years old, at least I'll say first significant paranormal experience, because there may have been a couple of smaller ones before that. And, you know, with this, I basically woke up in the middle of the night and there standing in the corner of my room was this tall, dark figure. You know, I had no idea what it was. Of course, come to find out it was a shadow person years later. But, you know, all I thought at that time was there was an intruder in my house and he was about to kill me because that's about what you think at the age of eight. I was terrified, you know, opened my mouth to try to scream. Nothing's coming out. And he ended up approaching my bed and did something very bizarre. He Leaned over. I'm looking up into this face where there's just nothing, no eyes, no nose, no mouth. Everything's just black. And he actually grabbed me by the wrist, crossed my arms across my body and then ran off down the hall. I was completely terrified during this, and I finally found my voice, found my legs, ran off to my parents' bedroom, and they were very good parents, you know, tried to console me, all that, told me that I had had a bad dream, but this was something that I was uh, completely awake for, Uh, and like I said, it was my first significant paranormal experience. Now, where I actually kind of knew that this would be something that I was going to continue to pursue, I was a little bit older. Uh, somewhere around a freshman in high school, I believe is, is what I was. And my friend David and I were over at our friend Lori's house and we're just, you know, doing the teenage thing, you know, shooting the breeze and all that sort of stuff in her living room. And all of a sudden she tells us that she thinks her house is haunted. Now I'd had more experiences by this point had definitely had an interest in, in the paranormal. Didn't know anything about, you know, investigating the paranormal or anything like that because that wasn't you know there were no shows or anything like that out at the time maybe in search of by leonard nimoy but being a paranormal investigator wasn't a thing the internet wasn't around had no idea and i was a small town so okay we're gonna go do this we're gonna go up to her room and check it out is is basically what we thought at the time so you know we're looking around her uh, room because what her main thing was was that there was an old family cemetery in the backyard. Strange things happened around the house, primarily in her bedroom. She couldn't ever keep things tacked up on this one wall. They would always fall down, whether it was an hour, a day, a week later, whatever it was, it would always fall off this wall. So we're checking out a room, checking out the wall, all of this stuff. And then all of a sudden, my friend David put his hand flat to the wall. And I didn't know my friend was a very sensitive guy. And he all of a sudden, with his hand to the wall, flat like that, uh, he turned this bright, bright red and started sweating profusely. I'm looking at David like, oh my gosh, what's going on with my friend? And he started going like wall to wall in the house, seeing if there were any other, you know, quote unquote, hot spots. And that was really the moment that I knew that this this interest was something that I was going to pursue for the rest of my life. I'd already had this, these experiences. And this was that moment that I was like, yep, th- this is something I'm going to pursue.
0: And did your friend David think at that moment, he was going to be an EMF meter for the rest of his life, too. (laughs) On the wall. Hey, a couple quick questions, if you don't mind. Going back to your first experience, when kind of the sign of the cross over yourself, did you ever kind of think why that shadow person did that? I've never heard of a shadow person doing that. I mean, it's kind of interesting. Did any thoughts? Did you ever think back and wonder,
1: have a hypothesis on why it did that? Was it for protection for you? Right, yeah, crossing the arms across the body i've I've had uh, several conversations with people about this over the last several years, and what we've come to believe, and again, it's just a theory there's no way to know for sure is that I was lying there in bed on my back, and the way it crossed my arms across my body, it kind of resembled the pose that you see on Egyptian sarcophagi and you know. They're holding the crook and flail crossed across their bodies like that, uh, uh, which is very interesting. And if that's true, then this thing was not actually trying to do me any sort of, sort of harm. It would actually be trying to honor me, which is a very different way to look at that situation. And so, you know, the, the first couple of people that proposed that idea were completely disconnected from each other. Uh, there were suggestions that were year, years apart from each other, and so I found it interesting. You know, at first, okay. so I'm having these different people suggest the same thing to me. Maybe there's something to that. So I started talking to more people about that possibility. And uh, it seems that, you know, that could have possibly been the case.
0: Did someone in your family
1: die prior, you know,
0: in the first year or so before that? Do you think that could have been or?
1: Uh, No, you know, at that age, the only person that would have passed would have been my uh, great uncle Bill. And I didn't really know him. I was too young, and I don't even remember a single interaction with him. I only remember the funeral itself. So yeah, there wasn't really anybody around that time that would have passed that with that sort of uh, actual connection. So we, we've had some different ideas, though, about perhaps some interdimensional travel, perhaps even a traveler from Egypt could have come thousands of years later into that time and space. There's a lot of different rabbit holes we can go down with this. Now, you grew up in Massachusetts, correct? Spent 10 years there. Yeah, I moved there when I was three and moved away when I was 13. Where in Massachusetts did you live? I was just curious. It's a town called Westfield. It's just west of Springfield. Okay, cool. Yeah.
0: You know, when I was a kid, and I never realized, I never thought it was a shadow person, but something happened to me when I was four. I'm older than you. I'm 58 now. So this was like in the, uh, I don't know, like 1966. It was in uh, Chumpsford, Massachusetts. It was kind of a small type of cape, I guess, uh upstairs bedroom with my two brothers and myself. I remember one of my earliest memories at age 4 waking up in the middle of the night and seeing what I thought was a masked figure or dark figure looking down at me. And then I just closed my eyes wishing for it to be gone. I opened my eyes and it was gone. And then the next morning I asked my parents, did you take care of that that criminal, that crook or that guy that whatever that I thought it was like like you. I thought it was an intruder. And I'm a four year old kid. They just, I just got the kind of quizzical look. Yeah, yeah, we took care, you know, care of it, you know. So yeah, that's always been with me. It's a vivid memory, and I never quite knew. I never knew if it was someone that broke into the house, but why would my brothers not hear that, and why would he not do anything? Nothing was taken. So, and I, I, I remember being awake, and then like almost you see in the movies where someone sees something and they close their eyes tight. That's what I did, and then it was gone, and so. I never knew what to make of it. It's funny, when I realized I was interviewing you and your kind of background, I thought, God, I I never thought it was a shadow person, but I'm starting to think like, was it a shadow person? I saw way back then.
1: Yeah, it very well could have been, does seem to have some of the characteristics of it. It's really interesting how we react to that as young children that that is our immediate thought that it's some sort of intruder somebody's in the house it's immediately what i thought we don't know from these things you know we've seen a little bit of tv we kind of know enough that okay this might be a bad guy right so yeah you don't ever think it might be a shadow person it's it's not until years later that you kind of start to put the pieces together that yeah, maybe that was
0: yeah i i find by interviewing people i made a documentary and i go in my second year of this podcast a lot of people say they haven't had paranormal experiences, and then they think back and they realize, well, maybe they did. You know, Do you run into that with people that they don't think they ever had a paranormal experience, but they maybe <laughs> – I know your father. Well, there's a
1: story about your father you may want to
0: share. Right,
1: but, right. Yeah. And that's exactly what I was going to mention was was my dad because yeah, he doesn't believe in any of this. My mother does, but my father will say, no, I don't believe in ghosts. And then he'll go on to tell this story about waking up in in the middle of the night one night. And there was this tall, dark figure walking into uh, his bedroom and he's basically said, I don't know who you are, but you need to get out of here. And the thing left. And I'm just like, dad, that's a ghost story. It was like, no, 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 no. (laughs) (laughs) Was that the same house, Mike, that you had your experience in
0: a different one? Okay.
1: That was a different house. Yeah. So um, yeah, I had two, two different houses that I experienced this, growing up in, one in Massachusetts, one in Ohio. That experience that he had was a house that he and my mother built after I had graduated high school and had moved out.
0: So 30 years, was there like some heyday of the paranormal for you? Like, for example, like I mentioned, you know, I I graduated college. I graduated high school, 1980, college, 1984. I look back at the eighties as the best decade. What was the best time for you for paranormal investigating?
1: well the the 80s was the best decade just because it was fun (laughs) yeah yeah
0: right yeah i I
1: mean i had all my favorite music and everything um so yeah i call myself an 80s child even though i was born in the 70s but um yeah you know it's interesting i think it it kind of evolves for each of us i had those experiences when i was young started getting involved a little bit there as a teenager then you know my life kind of You know, went through a a lot of upheaval. I went directly into the military after high school. I was up in Alaska for a few years. I had some experiences up there. And so I was going through, that was like a a time in which I was doing a, a lot more research. The World Wide Web was finally coming in vogue and people were starting to post creating forums or people are using things like yahoo groups or just even building those rustic old you know type of websites with just information on there and and ways to interact with people and everybody starting to share their experiences and realizing okay i'm not alone here there are other people that have been having these types of experiences and so that was kind of an eye opener for me that was kind of like those eye-opening days for me As, as far as like kind of a heyday I was tapped to write a book about ghosts in the state of Maryland in the mid-2000s, and that's where I really started to dive a, a lot deeper into paranormal investigations and researching like the history behind behind a lot of these ghosts and hauntings and all of that. So kind of from like the mid-2000s there to, I don't know, give it a, like 10, 12 years, where I was doing a lot of heavy, heavy investigating, Filming as much as I could when I finally got the equipment to do so because you know when you have four kids you don't have a lot of money to spend on a whole bunch of camera equipment so so you know that kind of evolved you know kind of learning the trade of filmmaking from a a little Canon camera that you could barely do anything with I had a Lumix camera in there and it was just you know your old style digital camera say old style I mean geez I grew up on thirty five millimeter film (laughs) but uh, (laughs) but you know everything you could do with those little tiny almost like square pieces of video to make something out of that eventually evolving. So there was a lot, there's a lot that I had learned during that time. So that was in a sense, kind of a, you know, a historic heyday for me. And these days I'm, I'm spread out into so many areas. I'm into like much bigger projects. So it's not, it's no longer where, you know, we're going out every weekend to investigate two or three different residentials, or whatever. It's, you know, now like with the shadow dimension project I'm working on, these are like much bigger, broader projects in which I'm investigating an entire type of phenomena and trying to see if there are different similarities between this phenomena at different locations in which they've reported it.
0: Yeah. We're going to jump into that in a second. I want to go back real quickly to your Alaska days. Were you in the Alaska triangle when you were up there in the air force?
1: Yeah, yeah. I was there at Elmendorf Air Force Base, which is kind of like right at one of the corners of the Alaska Triangle, because that basically stretches from Juneau to Anchorage and then uh, up to Barrow, which Barrow now has a new name in native Alaskan. I don't know how to pronounce it. Yeah. That is a crazy area up there. You know, when I first landed, uh, this was 1992, they had just, Mount Spur had just erupted. Just before I got up there, and so you know, ash is still falling from the sky. You know, every every day that we're coming into work, we're having to dust everything off. It was it was crazy. I'm like, volcanic ash. Okay, where did I just land? Uh, we had you know earthquakes up there. You know, it's a very volatile area. And then what that April, there's an airplane taking off from uh, the Anchorage airport, and the engine just falls right off the thing into a supermarket parking lot. Wow. <laughs> okay, this 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 place is crazy.
0: You wrote a book called A Walk in the Shadows, a complete guide to shadow people, I think last year, right? And that's kind of a prelude to your newest project which is the Shadow Dimension. So, do you mind talking about the book A Walk in the Shadows and then we'll go into your documentary series?
1: Yeah, absolutely. So, Walk in the Shadows, a complete guide to shadow people. Yeah, it just came out last year. I actually just released a second edition on the 1-year anniversary of the first edition. So, I've added uh, about 40 more pages of information which is you know really kind of pertinent to a lot of the things I've been doing over the past year you know you release a book like that all kinds of people contact you and then I started the project for the shadow dimension so it's a four part book i kind of go through the uh, the first part hitting like all the different types of shadow entities because we as humans try to compartmentalize everything so you know you got your humanoid figures, you know, the hat entities, hooded figures, mist, wisps, crawlers, all those different types and kind of break down what they are, at least what we theorize they are. And then I include a lot of different stories, not just from myself, but from others as well. A uh, second part of the book is on sleep paralysis. A lot of people wake up in the middle of the night and along with seeing the shadow entity will actually have sleep paralysis along with it. So, I get into a lot of those aspects because that's a very common question that I get. The third part gets into a lot of different other theories about interdimensional beings, extraterrestrials, astral projections, you know, different types of supernatural entities that these shadow entities may actually be, or that I get questions about hey, is like, is a wendigo or a doppelganger a shadow entity? And so I, I get into all of those sorts of things. And then the fourth part of the book gets into demons and you know if shadow entities are evil and the darker stuff that I get asked so that's why I say it's a complete guide to shadow people I hit this topic from a lot of different angles how do you research something like that you have personal experiences but
0: who do you connect with to to get more information
1: yeah certainly I I've, I've had a lot of personal experiences of course through my investigations as well I've had a lot of interactions with shadow entities but over the years as you know I've done public speaking engagements, and I've talked about this topic, and I've published a number of videos about shadow entities on my uh, YouTube channel and the, and the podcast and all that. I've had a lot of people approach me with their own stories and experiences and things that have happened to them. And so I've gathered all of this information, kept the emails or you know however it came in. Like I was saying before, you know, as humans, we kind of like to categorize everything. And so I, that's what I started doing. I started categorizing and looking for similarities and Trying to make sense of all this, and then now I know we're going to get into it in a few minutes here. Now with the shadow mention, actually purposefully going to locations looking for this to see if we can get any deeper understanding of it.
0: Tonight's episode is sponsored by paranormal author Eve S. Evans. Paranormal horror author Eve S. Evans introduces a brand new spine-chilling release, "The Haunting of Hartley House," available on Amazon. What could cause a happy father to commit a horrific murder-suicide? Nadia has spent years in foster care, wondering what would have pushed her father to do something so awful. As an adult and a national best-selling crime writer, she once again encounters her childhood home, in the newspaper. The home harbors more secrets than she could ever have imagined. As she researches, an idea comes to her why not join up with a paranormal team working there to clear the paranormal negative energy from the house? As the sole survivor of a horrific experience, she might help them find what they're looking for, and it'll be fantastic fodder for her next book. Except Nadia has no idea what's in store for her at the house, or what will happen when the survivor that shouldn't have lived returns. Don't believe in ghosts? This book might change your mind And steal any hope of sleep. The Haunting of Hartley House is the first book in a series and is free for KU customers or $9.99 for paperback on Amazon. Feel free to check out other books by Eve S. Evans as well The Haunting of Crow House, True Ghost Stories of First Responders. With 22 novels to choose from, you are sure to find a spooky read to enjoy. And just who the boo is Eve S. Evans? Well, she's not only a paranormal writer. She's also a paranormal experiencer. After residing in two haunted houses in her lifetime, Eve Evans became enthralled with the world of paranormal. She writes ghost stories based on true events. In 2021, she will start releasing numerous paranormal horror novels of fictional haunted houses. Check out her podcast for some audio ghost stories, Forever Haunted, and coming soon, The Ghosts That Haunt Me. Don't be afraid of a great paranormal read get your copy of the haunting of hartley house today you know before you i interviewed michelle belanger who is also from ohio and she wrote a book about demons like i think the dictionary of demons and all all the names of demons do shadow people besides the hat man or do they have names too or is it just they're just these you know esoteric shapeless things that we don't know what they are they're just shrouded in mystery
1: yeah, the hat man is kind of a, a name that we've put out there to kind of describe the shadow entities that appear wearing hats. And kind of like we've also named, okay, the crawler is now a, a name we've kind of assigned another type of these things. So yeah, you don't really hear of them actually having names like, like Michelle's book, or you go into the you know old goetic grimoires, you can find all kinds of names of demons and i I cover some of that stuff on my youtube channel as well especially like when it comes to valak because valak was the the demon in the in the conjuring series and it was actually it wasn't a demon nun it was actually a a a boy riding a three-headed dragon so (laughs) which is worse (laughs) (laughs) right right (laughs) so yeah it's it's interesting because yes demons seem to have all these variety of different names where with shadow entities we've kind of given them these monikers that describe their appearance, but we don't know an actual name for them or what they actually consider themselves.
0: Yeah, you were on uh, Sam Boutrousas' show Paranormal Rewind. I know Sam has had many encounters with the Hat Man. Did you guys talk about that? He he feels it's kind of a very personal type of shadow for him, but other people have seen the Hat Man as well. I mean, what's your thought about Sam's experience with the Hat Man in Salem?
1: Yeah, Sam's experience is really interesting because he does appear to have made some sort of personal connection with this and yeah i've talked with sam at length about this he's included part of that conversation in his uh, haunted hotels book and in a walk in the shadows part two i've included part of an interview that i had with him for the shadow dimension so he'll also be appearing in the shadow dimension talking about that yeah with with his experience You know, when he saw that hat entity and his had red glowing eyes, and that's another interesting thing. Some of these have red glowing eyes. Some of them don't. And actually, some of them actually have different colored eyes as well. But yeah, he made a connection with it where he had asked, can you see me? And it responded, yes, I can see you. And this all happened telepathically, happened through some sort of thought transference. And you get accounts of that occasionally, that if they do speak to you, it is through some sort of telepathy. Uh, it, it what's interesting about that, at least for me, is kind of it, just synchronicity. Because up until a few years ago, I hadn't really gotten stories of anybody hearing voices of shadow entities or or the hat man or anything like that. It was all, you know, okay, standing in the corner of the room, the sleep paralysis, you know, maybe it's old hag syndrome, maybe, you know, some of these other situations, shadows starting down the hall or what have you. But all of a sudden, I'm you know, giving a presentation about shadow people at ocean state paracon in rhode island and carl johnson from the back of the room ends up asking a question carl Johnson's a great friend of mine uh, and he's like you know do do these things have voices and so i answered as best as i could at that moment and then he and i discussed it afterward and ever since then i keep getting all these stories from people about how they have actually heard these uh shadow people telepathically and it does seem to be that the uh, hat entities are more prone to communicate through some sort of telepathy as opposed to other shadow entities. Don't know why that is, but yeah, it the, the hat-wearing ones seem to have uh, a lot more characteristics going on with them. Like a lot of people attribute them to being energy vampires. They'll kind of show up in your room, strike fear into you and feed off of that fear. So people will uh-huh. uh, consider the uh, hat ent- yep. hat-wearing entities that. Many people also consider them extraterrestrials. Uh, Something that I've been talking a a little bit more about lately, also included in the second edition, is back in the 1950s. We had, well, it still happens today, but it's kind of where the accounts of the men in black started when the big UFO flap occurred in 1952. There were all these different uh, men in hat sightings, which it predated that time as well. But one particular gentleman who had started a, UFO organization back then, Albert K. Bender, he was publishing reports of you know people having these uh, different extraterrestrial sightings, and all of a sudden one one evening, he's starting to fall asleep on the couch. He'd, he'd gotten very tired, and three hat wearing entities materialize through the wall. They had glowing eyes, and they basically tell him to stop his research, stop the newsletter he'd been putting out, just stop everything that he'd been doing to you know, research UFOs. And he did because he was so scared, and they, I guess, walked upstairs, and he, he said they smelled the sulfur and all of that, uh, and then they disappeared. And he attributed these to extraterrestrials. He, he believed that they were extraterrestrials that were coming to Earth that people had been witnessing, and they wanted him to stop reporting it. And, you know, when I first heard of that account and I, I read the story, I'm looking at that like, this is a this is a hat person story. You know all these accounts that I've been gathering about you know the hat man, and sometimes he has an entourage. Whether there's three of them or him and two uh, humanoid figures, uh, this is very very similar. So yeah. are some of these uh, hat wearing entities actually extraterrestrials or the men in black phenomena? It's you know, kind of an interesting thought.
0: Yeah, that's one of my questions actually. Like, there's a phrase called para- I don't know if I'm saying it correctly, but Paradolia, which is you incorrectly perceive something unfamiliar. And I'm wondering if could this be aliens that that come in because you have that whole paralysis aspect and that they maybe don't even remember kind of what happens after a while, that could it be an alien type situation, especially if it happens frequently, if they visit you frequently. So what are
1: your thoughts? Do you
0: think that's a possibility
1: or? Yeah, there's definitely an overlap between some of the extraterrestrial accounts and the shadow person sightings where, like you're saying, there's sleep paralysis where some people report reported as a shadow entity. Other people reported as an extraterrestrial and it'll be standing in the room. They might have the sleep paralysis. There might be some sort of physical interaction. The one thing that would be a little bit different is you don't usually hear I was abducted by a shadow entity. It'll, it'll be I was abducted by an extraterrestrial. But a, a lot of the other characteristics leading up to the abduction there's a lot of crossover and a lot of similarities between the ET accounts and the uh, shadow person accounts. So in some of these cases, maybe, uh, maybe one or the other. Some people may be reporting ETs when they're shadows, and some people may be reporting shadows when they're ETs. And who's to say they're not actually the, the same thing?
0: <laughs> so this is kind of a good setup for your new project, your documentary series, The Shadow Dimension. Did you do this over 2020 or when did you start working on this project?
1: Well, it's been in the works since late 2019, basically when I was finishing up A Walk in the Shadows. Uh, Since, you know, I do a lot of video work, I, of course, wanted to do some sort of significant video project regarding A Walk in the Shadows. And so somewhere toward the end of 2019, I came up with the idea, why don't I just do a full-fledged documentary on shadow entities and actually go to locations that have reported shadow activity, see if we can interact with some of these, see what we can learn about the location to see if some of these locations have a lot of similarities to try to see if there's some sort of formula that makes these things generate or maybe it's a location with portal activity and that's how they're entering in. And so I was going to start filming this project in early 2020 and then COVID hit. So <laughs> that put a significant monkey wrench into yep. a lot of the things that I had started working on in locations that i had started talking to about filming this project there i did at the uh what was it late september 2020 uh, made a trip out to the conjuring house in rhode island uh, worked with my good friend carl johnson and several others out there to document activity out there count carl's story with the rolling black smoke that he had out there and then also at Mineral Springs Hotel in Alton, Illinois in November. So those are the two locations I was actually able to get out to. Mineral Springs is a place where I had had a pretty significant encounter myself and several others in which we saw a rolling black smoke morph into the apparition of a little girl. There are some definite similarities between the two locations, even though they're so far from each other. One's a house, and one's a hotel. We're going to get into that in the docu-series. So Significant portions of the docu series are interviews with people talking about their accounts. Because I couldn't get out to a lot of locations, it's like I still want to do this docu series. What can we do to still tell the story we want to tell? But you know, we have COVID going on, so we've mentioned Sam uh, Baltrusis a few times. So I interviewed him. He tells his account of his hat-wearing entity. I've tapped several others. Uh, Andrea Perrin, of course, is on there to uh, talk about the Conjuring House. Quick question on The on the Conjuring House.
0: Yeah. Where in The Conjuring House? Because I know upstairs in the bedroom in the middle, I was lucky enough to go visit there right before COVID hit. Where was that rolling black mist? Was it downstairs in the library? Was it upstairs like in the middle bedroom or where a lot of the weird activity happens? Where was that? Or was
1: it permeated in different places in that house? Yeah, it's uh, primarily where Carl had first witnessed it in 1973 was from the bedroom beyond, the one with the uh, chalkboard
0: yeah yep. basically
1: from that room into the middle bedroom and it came toward him he was at the he was at the far end when he first started seeing it yeah. and it came through that doorway and into that middle bedroom what's interesting is Andrea Perrin also had experiences with the smoke there when she was growing up she uh, have a wonderful story that we'll share in the docuseries with her while she was doing her homework one night and the smoke going you know under the door and into the rooms and uh, you know, cause her bedroom was the one with the chalkboard, but she would see it forming up by the window in the middle bedroom and then would come under the door into her room. And she always, it, it sounds like she always accounted it for some sort of human presence. Cause she would tell it, Hey, I'm busy doing my homework. You know, you need to go and it would go back under the door. And then she'd get worried, like, wait a minute, my sisters are in there. And I just told this thing to go in there.
0: Did you learn new things about shadow people? When you did this series, you know, The Shadow Dimension, did you learn even new stuff that you didn't even know about
1: shadow people before you started this project? Yeah, I think a project like this it almost forces you to learn more. It certainly is not me just rehashing the same thing over and over again. That's one of the reasons why I came out with a second edition of A Walk in the Shadows is that by doing this project, I have learned more things and I put uh, many of those things into the book. Couldn't Share everything because I need to reveal it in the shadow dimension as well. But yeah, there there are some very interesting things that I'm starting to learn and explore with energy and in other dimensions. It's become very very fascinating. So, what has your personal experience been b- beyond your first
0: one as a you know being eight years old? You've been an investigator for thirty years. Look, some people ha- are interested in demons or psychic vampires or Bigfoot or name it. They have their own favorite type of paranormal entity. Was it that first incident that drew you to shadow people that drew your curiosity? And has it been kind of an ongoing saga, which you've experienced in your investigating years?
1: I mean, that one certainly had some significant influence for me. And I'm one of those that sees more shadows than apparitions, where there are other people that see more apparitions than shadows. The second experience I had was at that house in Ohio when we first moved in. And I kept seeing this shadow in my doorway. And it just looked like a translucent human was standing there, and every time I'd turn and look straight at it, it would take off down the hall. Um, I ended up calling the thing Tom, as in like peeping Tom. <laughs> and it, I just got playful with it. Uh, well, and, and my mother actually played a, a good part in that, because I asked her if she had seen the same activity, and apparently she thought that I was you know, a little bit more mature at that point, and she divulged that she had seen it as well. But it was so disarming the way she put it. It was like, oh, okay, she's she's not alarmed about this thing. She's not worried about it. It must be okay. And it was. It was fine. The activity lasted three or four months, and then it was gone. But as a paranormal investigator, I've had several, several experiences with shadows. And you know, some of them have just absolutely intrigued me as far as like, okay, what in the world did I just witness, and how did that happen? And a really significant one happened at a restaurant called Johnny V's in Muskogee, Oklahoma. It's no longer open business, but it was an old historic building. It's seen many different types of businesses in there, and this was, this was during this restaurant phase. And we were really just wrapping up the investigation. Uh, some of the guys were upstairs in the bar area. A couple others were out in the front restaurant area, and I decided to do a last photo sweep of the restaurant. So I'm walking through the main doors to the kitchen, And as I walk in, this little wisp of a shadow, it was was tall, extremely thin, very translucent. It just darts across the kitchen as if I scared it. And boom, it slammed right into this flimsy metal door that was on the sidewall. it It was just a door that waiters and waitresses would carry large trays of food through to get into the back restaurant area. And what was interesting about that is that while I heard the slam that it caused, the door did not move. Uh, now, this is a door that I could just walk up to and like tap with my finger, and the thing would swing open. So I called out to the others. Hey, did you guys hear that? And they're like, yeah, yeah, we heard that. And so I described to them you know, what I had seen. And then I started thinking, okay, I'm on my own. These guys are messing with me. So I started asking, did you guys throw something at the door? And they're like, no, no, we didn't throw anything. And I, I walk out that little metal door and I'm looking at the ground and like, no, nothing had been thrown down there or anything like that. So, you know, it caused me to question, okay, what exactly did I see? Cause I saw that shadow dart across the room. I heard it slam into the door, but why did the door not move? So it started making me think about other dimensions. Maybe I walked into that kitchen and maybe it saw me as the ghost or as a shadow person and I scared it cause that thing took off. Quick, oh, yeah. and if that's the case if it was on a different plane of existence and we're not seeing each other quite properly perhaps on its plane of existence it blew right through that door that door opened wide and it was gone off into the restaurant some area but i didn't see it of course because i'm on my own plane of existence however sound works on a different wavelength and a different frequency and i was able to actually hear the sound of it Travel from one dimension to another, and this is actually a theory that we talked about in the Alaska Triangle regarding an entire airplane that possibly disappeared through a portal. And a couple days later, they were able to hear the radio chatter. Couldn't really discern what exactly they were saying, but since the plane was gone, uh, you know, where did the chatter come from? And again. Sound working on a different wavelength, perhaps it came right back through that portal.
0: Yeah, so it, you know, it sounds like you're even exploring, like which I try to do in my documentary too, like the science aspect that quantum physics and quantum mechanics or whatever is kind of meshing with this multiverse and these things that could gel with the paranormal. Is I always find it interesting. What are your thoughts about the paranormal could really be connected to science and things that we just haven't figured out yet?
1: Oh, it absolutely is. There's certainly uh, different layers to this universe. There are so many things around us that that are going on that we can't see with our own eyes, and how do we tap into that you know I, I get into a lot of deep discussions about time and time travel and you know how all of those different components work. There's a lot of these cases that what we may be actually witnessing are not actually ghosts, but it may be some sort of time slip that's going on and for some reason, there's a catalyst. To make our two different moments in time resonate on the same frequency, that we're able to see each other for just a moment, yeah. So all this stuff absolutely fascinates me. So what about the thought, like
0: rather than a multiverse, it's a simulation, but there's like a blip in the simulation? Have you ever done a show on the on the simulation, and you have a, a thought about that?
1: Yeah, I I did a uh, show on that last week. <laughs> the simulated universe. Oh, there you go. Well, yeah. my, what, you, what timing? <laughs> yeah, which which I've actually done that a couple of different times because you know I keep getting a little bit deeper and deeper into that. And there is actually a section in a Walk in the Shadows on if we're in a simulated universe. It's it's called uh, Shadows in the Matrix. If we are in a simulated universe, what are the roles of shadow people in that simulation? But I mean, I absolutely believe that we are in some kind of simulation. I don't necessarily believe it's a computer simulation, but I think it's something more organic or biological, and people kind of scoff at the idea. I mean, some people really buy into it. It sounds very science fiction-ish because, of course, the Matrix movies. But if you actually look back at most world religions, they pretty much say that we are in a simulation without using the word simulation. Because they talk about we come from some other world beyond, we're down here for a short period of time, and depending on the religion, we're either here to learn something or we're preparing for another world or what have you. And then when we pass away, we go off to whatever that world is. So that's essentially what a simulation is. You jack in for a little while, you in- interact with the environment, you learn a few things, and then you jack out and you're no longer in the simulation. So it's essentially the same thing. It's like a time loop with reincarnation. Yeah, in. exactly. Yeah. Well,
0: and also if you even think about what we actually see and how we perceive things versus what is actually there and how it's really symbols is what we see. And if we saw that what was really there, who knows, we'd probably go insane. You had a guest on uh, your uh, edge of the rabbit hole, a good a friend of mine. I think, you know, we'd mentioned him before offline, Rob Guttrow. And you talked about uh, shadow pets. I've had Rob on a couple times talking about his, most recently talking about his new
1: book, Pets on the Afterlife 3.
0: I haven't talked to him about shadow pets or shadow animals. Can you give us a little bit about what those are?
1: Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, Rob's a... Rob's a good friend of mine. We go way back. I've had him on you know, many times. Uh, he's always uh, very, very interesting to talk to. And yeah, definitely recommend his his book series, "Pets in the Afterlife." Yeah, he contributed several stories to "A Walk in the Shadows," and I had a, a section on shadow animals in there with you know several accounts of shadow spiders, uh, shadow cats, things like that because people do see and experience these things. But I asked Rob, hey, you know, could you help me out here and kind of flesh this out a little bit? Because I know you've had ex- you know, some experiences seeing past pets of yours as shadows. So he put together this this nice section of interactions that uh, he's had, you know, seeing uh, pets of his that have passed away that have appeared to him as shadows. And one of them came back basically like half shadow, half apparition, which is really interesting. But he talks about, you know, how like with human spirits, pets also you know, have energy. And a a lot of what we're interpreting and seeing uh, is energy. And when it comes off as a shadow, it's just not able to fully manifest. And and a lot of these shadow entities that we see are human spirits or with the pets, they are pet spirits. And they just can't gather enough energy in that moment to come off as a full apparition. They only appear as a shadow. And so, yeah, with with Rob, he's had a lot of these uh, types of occurrences. I get all kinds of questions Left and right about, hey, you know, I saw this small shadow walking about the house. I just had a dog or a cat pass away. Could it possibly be my pet? And it's like, yeah, it it really could be. So that sheds light, no pun intended, on shadow. But that sheds light on kind of there's different types of shadow
0: entities. There's the human, you know, bound entities that pass on. There's the interstellar travelers, maybe, and there there could be demons. There could be aliens. So. Do you run into one type of
1: shadow entity more than the other, or is it just a bag of mixed tricks? It's really a mix. I mean, right now we we really you know kind of theorize you know, what exactly these things are, and it's funny when I get the simple question, "Well, what are shadow people?" And it's like, well, that's a whole can of worms right <laughs> there. <Yeah. laughs> it could be this, it could be that. Yeah, some of them are just human spirits. You know, some of them are interdimensional travelers. I think what a quote-unquote true shadow person is, is some sort of interdimensional being. And it's hard to know, okay, am I witnessing something that's interdimensional or am I witnessing an extraterrestrial or is it a human spirit or something completely different? That's kind of one of those where unless they tell you, you're going to have to go back and research and try to figure it out. Rob, he has another story in the book where we talk about Uh, Shadows as Human Spirits, where he had an interaction with uh, his aunt. She had expended a lot of energy traveling to find him because she wanted him to relay a message to his mother for her, and so he knew immediately who it was. It just She couldn't come off as a full apparition. She could only come off as a shadow, but most times, you don't get that. You're just seeing something standing there or something dart down the hall, and you're like, what in the world was that? And it'll take some significant research, like when we filmed for The Haunted over 10 years ago now, that case, and we had investigated that home many, many times, and she was experiencing a red-eyed shadow entity in her closet and in her bedroom. We would. Could you go back to what that case was? I'm sorry. What yep. was the, What was the person? That was the monster in the closet case that we filmed for the television show, The Haunted. It premiered on Animal Planet. It's been a syndication in a lot of different places now. Okay. That was a a case in Edmond, Oklahoma, where she was experiencing a red-eyed entity in her closet. It was terrorizing her, the cat, and the rest of the family saw it. They had actually been experiencing many things in the house for like 20 years and it finally got to the point where they called us out. and We investigated many, many times to try to figure out what this thing was. You know, was it because there's a lot of dark history with that house where there were a couple of suicides, attempted suicides in that house. The uh, original homeowner's father had taken his life in her bedroom where she was seeing this stuff. So, you know, we needed to, you know, go down that rabbit hole of trying to figure out who exactly this was. So, knowing the history of the house, we were gearing our our EVP sessions and our questioning toward those particular people and one by one we were uh, eliminating those people we were also noticing her that over the months that we were coming back and investigating she was getting progressively and progressively worse she was certainly suffering from oppression and had gotten to the point of borderline possession we involved Carl Johnson into the case at that point and That was the the primary bulk of the paranormal investigation footage that they included for that show was our cleansing of that house with with Carl helping us drive this thing out. And he had classified it as a wraith, something that had once been human in life, but devolved into something worse in the afterlife. Is he a priest or is he? Does he use religion to drive them out, or what's his method? Yeah, he will use religion to, to drive it out. Uh, he's n- he's not a priest. He and his brother Keith have studied extensively for for 50 years. I mean, they were doing that stuff back you know, in the early 70s. So they're demonologists, yeah, right? Yeah, they're demonologists, yeah. Okay. Yeah, but not ordained or anything.
0: So yeah, it's funny because I you know some people believe only like the church can cast them out. I've talked to a shaman who says he uses a different method. So yeah, there are different ways to deal with uh, depossession and exorcists. I had one question about shadow people. Do you think they're shadows because that's how they project themselves, or is just the antenna of the human
1: mind, that's the only frequency we can pick them up? Do you you have any thoughts about that? There's several different possibilities for that. So there's a spectrum there out of our periphery where we can actually see a bit in infrared. And so one of the reasons why sometimes we see these things out of the corner of our eyes, and we turn and look, and then they're gone but that they didn't vanish they're still there it's just we've turned our perspective we're no longer using that periphery to actually see them in that different angle that the light is coming into uh, our eyes through rods and cones everything is really the interpretation of light and and frequency and so i'd mentioned before i see more shadows and apparitions whilst some people see more apparitions than shadows and some people have a you know, hard time seeing things all together. <laughs> but um, I believe a lot of this has to do with the frequency and resonance of of energy and the different wavelengths that these things yep. are traveling on. And when we actually see something, it's because our personal vibration is resonating at a very similar or if not the same frequency as they are vibrating. And I think we get in tune over time to some of these things. So I think you know the reason why I see a lot more shadows and apparitions is because my personal frequency has become, because I've had so many interactions, it's become a lot more in tune to their vibration so that when one is around, I'm like, oh, okay, there it is. And you know, I tune in and I'm able to actually see it. My vibration turns onto that frequency, which in turn resonates throughout my whole body. And then I'm able to bring in that light and a little bit of, of a different wavelength. You know, it's kind of interesting, and then when it comes to something like ET's, this almost opens up a whole other ball of wax, or even like a time traveler, where they could be in their travels. Like you'll say, if it's an actual physical being and not somebody traveling interdimensionally, they could be utilizing some form of a cloaking device, come here on Earth and study us and all of that, but they don't want to be seen. However, they may not fully understand our physiology and what they think is completely cloaking them may not be completely working to the way our eyes and our physiology work. So when we end up seeing it, we end up seeing a shadow or some people report seeing like a shimmer man. And so that could be you know a, another way that we're able to see these. Uh, you could really, again, go down the rabbit hole in a lot of these different possibilities. It's uh, certainly a fascinating subject that has uh, so many facets to it. Yeah, it
0: sounds great. I mean, can you tell us more about the Shadow Dimension and when it's going to be available and where we can watch
1: it? Yeah, Shadow Dimension will be available this spring, uh, still in post production. I'm working hard to get it out in April. Wow, that's a month away. That's good. I know <laughs> it's a month away. It's a month away. And I got a couple episodes to, to finish up on. But uh, yeah, it, it's been a passion to, to get this done. Um, I'm really excited about what it will actually present to people. You know, I have a a lot of fascinating people that are involved in this project that I think people will really enjoy. Is it a docu-series or a documentary? Yeah, it's a a docu-series. Right now, it looks like six episodes. There's a possibility it might stretch to seven, but it looks like six episodes right now. And
0: do you know where it's going to be on?
1: Uh, Yeah, that'll stream on Amazon Prime.
0: Oh, that's great. Okay, cool. I mean, you're really prolific. I mean, I've I've interviewed Jeff Belanger, Michelle Belanger, spoken to Jim Harold who's been I don't know if you're familiar with him but he's done at the Paranormal Podcast and Campfire Tales. Mm-hmm. But you you've done just a ton of stuff with your writing, research, and multimedia projects. And I really applaud you for documenting everything and making it available to the masses. Can you just talk for a minute about your connected universe and in which includes its online courses? an interactive community, and access to your live streams. Can you talk a little bit about that and what it offers to people and how they can access it? Yeah, you kind of just said it right there. <laughs>
1: yeah. <laughs> <laughs> just repeating. Right. Well, I mean, yeah, that's it, it, exactly what it is. So, um, yeah, this where I'm going to be posting a, a lot of uh, upcoming courses. Right now, I, I was in the middle of putting all those courses together, but it was like, wait a minute, I really need to get Shadow Dimension done. So I paused on the courses for now, get Shadow Dimension <laughs> done, then we'll put the courses up there. Uh, but right now, the the membership site part of that website of the Connect Universe portal is up and operational. So uh, uh, on the back end there, I have a lot of articles out there. I just posted a free one, by the way, on Our Place in the Universe. So there's a free blog out there that anybody can go get that. But the membership site has other articles. It has sneak peeks and behind the scenes of the Shadow Dimension, as well as a number of other different projects I'm working on. I have a Mike's Morning Mug vlog that I do, like, a couple times a week talking about a variety of different subjects. There's monthly Q and a videos where people submit questions to me and you know, I go ahead and and answer those on the Q and a video. There's of course access to the beyond the shadows live stream, which is really almost like a mini course in and of itself. So I I mentioned the our place in the universe article that I just posted as a freebie on the, on the blog. It's almost kind of like a preview of the last beyond the shadows uh, show that we did. Last week was simulate Universe. We dove deep into there, and they're really like mini-courses that were thrown into an hour. And so the access to the weekly live stream uh, is through there, and we have a very interactive chat room, and I have to take questions from the, in the chat and all that. So, uh, yeah, there's, there's a lot of stuff that's, uh, that's within that, that membership portal.
0: And is there a URL for it,
1: connecteduniverse.com, or what, where do they go online? Yeah, it's connecteduniverseportal.com. Cool. All
0: right. You've also be on, been on Fright Club a couple episodes, right? Uh, just real quickly, what's that experience been like with Jack Osborne and the Ghost Brothers? And I think one of your episodes was on
1: Bigfoot, right, that you were on? Uh, well, that was, yeah, that was the name of the episode. Um, I wasn't the one with the with the Bigfoot. I, it was like Bigfoot's toenail or whatever that somebody had actually sent them. <laughs> they had me on there a couple of times to talk about uh, shadow phenomenon. So yeah, it was that was a lot of fun. I've, I've met the Ghost Brothers before, and you know, we're at some of the same conferences and, and what have you. And they're they are a great group of guys. They're a lot of fun, and uh, that was the first time I got to talk to Jack. It's it's funny. One of the uh, clips that they that they edited out of that. It was the clip in which uh, the shadow entity comes down from the ceiling and, and covers the person on the bed, which I thought was a really compelling clip. Jack starts asking about whether or not that could be, you know, an elemental. But he's he's talking with the Ghost Brothers about that. And then, you know, the Ghost Brothers uh, kind of turn to him and say, well, OK, Jack, what, what's the uh, elemental? And Jack starts kind of hemming and hawing, um, well, uh, Mike, could you tell us about what elementals are? It was funny. I don't, but that is a tough one. I, I, him and how myself exactly. And kind of what that is. I,
0: last question, what paranormal entity scares you the most of, of anything? What would be the
1: most frightening for you to encounter? Oh, um, that's, that's a really good question. Um, uh, probably, I mean, the, the crawlers probably, uh, the scariest one because the thing moves so fast and it, it gets down on all fours, you know, like a crab, like basically any of those, demonic possession movies that you see where all of a sudden the person is cracking their bones and they get down to like to a crab position, start scurrying across the floor. You know, it's kind of like that except it's not a human. It's uh, just some sort of very fast flurry of arms and legs of a, of a shadow entity. Um, And I've had an interaction with, with one of those out at uh, black bear church out in the middle of nowhere in Oklahoma. Yeah. I mean, they're very creepy. Did it catch up to you or did you? (laughs) Did it catch up to you or did you you were able to? (laughs) Well, it was uh, basically worrying around us, you know, like along the walls, on the ceiling. At some point, it hit the floor and it, you know, knocked a bottle across the floor, Uh hit the railing. We started singing some hymns and saying some prayers. So, you know, at at the suggestion of the psychic medium that was with us, she was like, you know, let's bring a more positive energy into the atmosphere right now. So we started doing that and it slipped back out the window from whence it came. Wow, that's great. Hey, well, thank you so much. I know we're we're up at the hour right now,
0: and I know you have some editing to do on the Shadow Dimension. So, thank you again. You want to give us your website uh, before we go, where people can
1: follow everything that you do and what's going on? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, you can follow along at mikericksecker dot com. Mention the connecteduniverseportal dot com as well. We have over seven hundred videos out at the Honda Road Media YouTube channel, and you can get the Edge of the Rabbit Hole live stream show on Tuesday nights at uh, at the edge of the rabbit hole YouTube channel. Excellent. Thank you so
0: much. We look forward to your documentary series, Mike.
1: Absolutely. I really appreciate it. Bob, it was great talking to you. You too.
0: You've been listening to the Afraid of Nothing podcast. Please subscribe and like us on Facebook. Until next time, Stay scared. Hey, you're still here? Great. Then why not listen to another episode? Visit AfraidOfNothingPodcast.com to peruse all the shows. That's AfraidOfNothingPodcast.com. And while you're there, click the coffee cup icon to buy me a coffee and leave a review. I'll give you a shout out in an upcoming episode and the world will know how swell you are.